Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend this hour with us. So I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and empower people, especially adults, to own their voice that come in so many different forms. So this space was created to talk with people with all different jobs, hobbies, and interests, and have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. One, how do you define creativity? Two, how do you incorporate it into your life? And three, why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to talk to musicians, Reiki masters, mediums, doctor, lawyer, real estate agents, and so many more. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as their soul's essence, courage, imagination, basically all that we are and wanna be. So sharing these stories expands one's thinking and opens up self-expression to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. My inspiring guest for today is Karen Laus. She is a former corporate leader turned professional speaker specializing in communication. She is fiercely committed to equipping women in business to speak with clarity and stand out with unshakable confidence. Her mission is to eradicate self-doubt so women can stop holding back and start taking their seat at the table. Karen, welcome to the space. Hello, Hollis. There, there we go. Yay! With that Yay! great introduction. <laughs> Sorry to be the anticlimactic person. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's okay. It has taken longer with other people. So, <laughs> so you are perfect. And on this day prior to in the States, um, prior to the Thanksgiving holiday, which of course is the holiday that, you know, one of the huge aspects is gratitude. I am very grateful to have you in this space and that you're going to take this hour to chat and explore this topic with me. So thank you for being here. Well, you're so welcome. I am honored to talk about it because I, well, first of all, I love you. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Oh my gosh, I love this person. And secondly, the thing that we're talking about is so important. It's so important. And looking at creativity as, as, and us as women in particular, but really everybody, how do we overcome that self-doubt? Yes. Oh my God. This is going to be such an amazing conversation. But before we dive in, can you give people a little bit more of a background about who you are? Sure. Yes. Well, on a personal note, I'm originally from Minneapolis, but now I live in San Francisco, which was a dream of mine ever since I was a teenager. Mm. And I definitely consider myself a follower of dreams. And another fun fact about me is that for my 50th birthday, I had another dream was to live in Manhattan. And instead of living there long term, I thought, well, why don't I just go there for a month? So I spent the month of my 50th birthday renting an apartment and living like a local in Manhattan. Oh my gosh. What so, a brilliant idea. It doesn't have to be permanent like this. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. Well, it was kind of funny because I was looking for houses in the Bay Area and very expensive here, as I'm sure you know well. Yeah. And then thinking, well, I know New York and San Francisco are kind of vacillating for first place of the most expensive place to live. Maybe New York might be cheaper. And then as I'm looking at homes, I'm thinking, why why do I need to buy? I just can rent rent a place. And I had the time of my life. So I would say I'm also an adventurer at heart, along with a follower of dreams. And professionally, I have been in the corporate world for most of my life, starting in HR and worked for companies such as The Gap in their corporate office. But I really grew up professionally at a company called Decker Communications, where I was flown all over the world to speak at companies like Google, Netflix, Facebook, Sony, Sephora, lots of really cool names. And it was so incredibly beneficial for me to understand not just my passion around communication, but to help people 
communicate their ideas better. And that's where also I grew to really, well, I've always had a passion for women, but I saw how quickly people got results when they watched when they watched themselves on video, which is what we did there and what I've been doing now on my own for the past year because I left my corporate gig as an executive in communications to focus on helping women specifically have more basically eradicate self-doubt as you've already mentioned and my mission is to reach 10 million women so that we can all be free of having to deal with this stuff like judgment and perfectionism and being worried about what people think and people pleasing and all these things that are part of my story. And when I finally broke, broke free, free of that, at least to the point where I didn't care what other people thought of me that I was holding back. Cause I used to hold back from sharing my ideas because I was too concerned about what people thought of me. And through a lot of personal growth work, I got to a point where I, really woke up and said, this is, this is crazy. And I started taking baby steps and then eventually got to this point where I really felt free of it. And then I thought, I want everybody to be free. This is amazing. So that's a little bit about me professionally and personally. One of the quotes on your website says, dang girl, you've got important things to say. Yes, that is true. And I love Ooh. that because yes, Yes, we do. I mean, how many people, as you're catching the replay here live, can relate to that when you you have something to say, you have that feeling in your stomach where it like feels all butterfly and you're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I want to say it. And then all of this stupid voice kicks in that <laughs> that like angel devil is like, why would you say anything? Why do they want to listen to you? You're going to sound stupid. And you just and you don't. Exactly. Well, and the sad part is we miss it's, it's that like Mel Robbins talks about the five second rule with, you know, within, you know, when you have that knee jerk or that gut reaction of I want to say something or, or, you know, something like that. And then you don't you doubt yourself. If you wait five seconds, that's usually when the doubt starts creeping in. But if you jump and do what your gut is inclined to do, then you're probably going to serve yourself better. And too often, I didn't listen because I was so worried about everything else and being perfect and not rocking the boat and saying something that might be unpopular. And one of the things that I will say, just to jump into a quick tip that really helped me shift mm -hmm. is to start saying, here's my vote. Because that helped me feel like, like it was, it was an easy way for me to share my opinion without feeling like I was trying impressing my opinion on everybody. Because growing up in Minnesota, it was very much a compliant, like I was just trying to be a compliant little girl trying to please my dad growing up, to be honest. And everything was about being perfect, saying the exact right thing. And so when I realized, why don't I just say, here's my vote, that somehow I don't know, for whatever reason, it feels better to me. It feels easier and more diplomatic perhaps, but that's worked really well for me. And I think it's an important point to make that you do what feels right to you because certain things you, you have to incorporate in and they're not going to feel comfortable until they, until they do feel comfortable. Right. But when you're starting, I believe, into these baby steps of whatever it is of this uncomfortable space, you need to do you can't be uncomfortable all the time. So it, it's kind of like you as something that makes you feel good in order to guide you to the next step. And I like your verbiage on that. I think that's a great suggestion. Thanks. Yeah. And you're so right. It's that balance. Because of course, you know, everybody talks about, and I do believe it's true that growth doesn't happen when you're comfortable, but when you're trying to change a bunch of stuff, <laughs> I yeah. always tell people, take baby steps, take what, what will work and then it gets easier. And I, I'm also, it does get easier yeah. and I've gotten a lot more comfortable. And also it, it's, I just find it fascinating that we keep ourselves in these prisons. We just don't really recognize it. And yes. that's the thing that I want to help more women in particular <clears throat> focus on is being aware of how often are you holding back? And why are you holding back? What's getting in the way of that? Taking some time to explore what that looks like. 
Yeah, so true. We we kind of like get out of that space that that prison that we've been holding ourselves in for whatever reason it is. And then we're like, wow, that lot, like how long was I doing that for? <laughs> that exactly. just, <laughs> exactly. that, that was, but you know, you have to go through things, through things in order to get to the other side. Um, yes. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So before we dive into the, would you rather question, I just want to ask why San Francisco did you dream of, of that when you were a kid? <laughs> Yeah, well, I was always intrigued as a Midwesterner with the West Coast and the East Coast, particularly the West Coast, because there was something, for whatever reason, I feel alive when I'm at the beach. Now, obviously, for anybody that knows <laughs> California outside of my teenage self, it is not necessarily like San Francisco you you would r rarely be at the beach unless you're sitting in your car or you've got a parka on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so for whatever, now I will say, I think it is important for me to say, and every, I know everybody will go, oh, that's why. But my oldest brother did move here. I have six older brothers and, or my second oldest brother moved here out of college. He went to Dartmouth and then drove cross country and founded a magical place. But he was so much older than me that we we really weren't close. So part of me feels like I can't really attribute it to him because we we just yeah, we just weren't that close. So I'd say it's simply because of the intrigue of California and probably some of his stories around the magic of San Francisco and it's such a European feel mm -hmm. to the city and I've always loved Europe. I went to Germany when I was 16 and lived there for with a host family. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. San, San Francisco is beautiful. It has this, there is a magical feel to it. Mm -hmm. There and really is. All the watching. Yeah. I'm sorry. I interrupted oh. you. Go ahead. No, no, no. No need to apologize. <laughs> my, Watch my, it. Rule, my rule with that is you have to sit up <laughs> sexy instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, there we go. I'm sexy. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> um, watching the clouds roll in um, by the bridge, it's just, and the weather, it's just, it is. It's a, it is a magical place, um, which is going to lead me into, I'm deciding to change my would you rather question for you. So, okay, here we go. So, Karen, would you rather be on a desert island alone or with someone who talks nonstop? <laughs> I would say the person who talks nonstop because I believe that I have enough power to coach them, ask for what I need and to get them to be quiet occasionally. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the power of the coach. <laughs> I don't know if you're looking for a reason, but there you go. <laughs> when I ask this question, it's so funny. I asked this question to my husband and son and immediately they were like, alone. And then <laughs> we went out to eat and they said, our, our daughter wasn't there. They said, wait a minute, is it a man or a woman who's talking nonstop? I'm like, you asshole. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, pick it. What do you want? And they're like, if it's a woman, I can deal with that. <laughs> male perspective there oh yes yes exactly <laughs> oh my god always thinking in certain ways yes, yes that's right. That's right. <laughs> so here we go we're diving into so karen how do you define creativity oh i have a massive value which is freedom and when i think about creativity I think about the freedom to express yourself and what that looks like for me, because I'm a little bit obsessed with the, the spoken word communication. I'd say for me, it's the ability to freely express your ideas. And it really is embedded in me because it's such a part of my story around feeling like I didn't have a voice for so long. And 
or that it had to be a certain way for me to be accepted and seen just for who I am. So the idea of being able to create whatever I want, like my schedule, my business, my life, that's what I see as the ability to be free to do all of that. Hmm. So as you were kind of sharing just a little bit earlier, it seems like there's been really a a step-by-step process. It's kind of like when you were younger, there was the, you know, make everybody happy, especially were you the youngest of six? Yeah, I I have six older brothers. Well, technically there were nine originally, but we don't have to get into all those details. I was too young. Um, I didn't remember my siblings that passed away, but the um, my mom had started with a girl and ended with a girl. So there were originally nine and there's now seven. So yes, I have six older brothers and I'm the baby girl that my parents were dying to get. <laughs> they finally got me and said, we're done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gosh. So there's a lot going on there. A lot of people, a lot of, you know, for all the reasons that, you know, you have your story and people have their stories that they can relate, whether you have lots of siblings or none or a few, there's certain dynamics that happens in families. So then you found your voice. And then here, I'm just going to jump to then you were working in these companies and you were the voice of these companies. Mm -hmm. So talk to me kind of about that in-between stage of placating people and not wanting to rock the boat to all of a sudden being working with companies and you were like their communication person. Well, here's what's interesting about it. It's it's fascinating to hear how you were perceiving it because it reminds me that it wasn't like that exactly. Mm-hmm. I had this, I mean, we're all complex beings, right? So ever since I was a kid, it was the realization that I got as an adult is that I didn't feel my voice was valuable just for who I was as a person. But I grew up that my voice was valuable if I produced something and added value to people. So ever since I was, I was young, my dad taught me to be determined. Like you can do anything you want if you're determined and persistent enough and you put in the work to get there. So I was always actually semi-outspoken is a strong word, but ever since I was in high school, I was class president. I was head of this marketing and sales competition club called DECA. And then I've always had pretty amazing, I would call them high-level positions for the most part. I mean, obviously I started out in my 20s in HR, but then moved into various leadership roles. But I say that all because... The difference was there wasn't alignment between who I was on the inside. I would hold back and play it safe most of the time, but I always had this external confidence. I've always been overconfident, ironically. Like I've been, I, I started negotiating when I was six years old when my dad taught me how to negotiate it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I've always negotiated some really sweet deals for myself salary wise and have never been afraid to ask for what I want. So it's really interesting that I had this external persona. Nobody would have known that. But when it came to certain people that I would be intimidated by, like with my clients, I knew I was in charge and they saw me in that role. So I was already established as an authority when I walked in to do a keynote or coach someone. But it was more with my peers on the leadership team that I would feel intimidated or that I'm not good enough. And then as I've also come to learn through lots of personal growth work, my old boss actually was <laughs> showing up as my deceased father <laughs> uh, uh-huh. in, in lots of ways, which really made, it was very fascinating when I had that discovery of, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. No wonder I feel like I can't share my real truth and ideas with her, even though she was always encouraging me. So that's what was also fascinating is that I was encouraged to speak up, but I still felt like, oh, it's not going to be right enough. It's not going to be good enough. So that's the the dynamic with that, having that out- external confidence related to when, when I'm producing something of value compared to 
the truth, which I've come to realize now, but took me a very long time that I'm actually valuable as a human being, not just for what I produce. Hmm. I like that word truth, mm. truth and, and external confidence. Mm -hmm. Those words are kind of like jumping out at me. Um, yeah. What, what's, what do you think about it? Yeah, because I think it's just always interesting when someone has, when you see somebody that has like all of this, you look at them and you're like, God, they really know what they're doing. Or they are just like holding their head up, standing so tall, using their voice. And then it's just not always the case. Right. Like what you're saying, it's it's like there's kind of like a tricky, like when you understand, when you really listen and you watch and you have a better understanding and actually love and care for yourself, I feel like as I've got, gone upon my journey, I guess, as I've learned to appreciate myself and trust myself more, then when I come upon those people, I don't see it them as a threat or a comparison or competition mm. as much as yeah. much because I can look back and say, Oh, that's cool. Or yeah, they know what they're doing or can kind of recognize when somebody's just putting up their peacock feathers and is really kind of full <laughs> of shit. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, Oh, I've seen that before. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, exactly. I'm I'm chuckling because I'm thinking about the times and then the environments in which I felt that I needed to do that because I can think about times where I was peacocking and going, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> we all have. I mean, I guess who hasn't? Like, because there's times where you kind of need to establish your authority or you know, whatever it is, seem like a knowledgeable person um, instead of kind of being like, there's a certain time and place for certain things. Certain times you need to be able to show up. And other times there's, it's like, I kind of been learning this with you. So let's learn it together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. It is really funny. I, I, I think the human, human journey is so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, there are times I learned so much being in the classroom and in many different kinds of classrooms, um, whether it be a traditional kind of classroom or um, a homeless shelter or my own spaces that I created or um, working with adults, like working with the parents. This one program I worked with, they were incredible. Um, studio in a school in New York. And I got to go in for an artist in residency and I worked with the teachers, the students and the parents. Hmm. So talk about a well-rounded program. Yeah. They actually, and it was very process oriented. So it was like six weeks of drawing, six weeks of painting, six weeks of clay, six weeks of um, wood sculpture. And so we really got to dive in and just kind of play and experiment and then create and working with the parents to kind of talk about things being a process and trying things and making mistakes. And they had a budget where you could actually give them a bag of supplies to go home and play. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was just, it That's was amazing. amazing. It was incredible. And I learned so much in that process. Cause at times I questioned myself cause I was young Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like navigating um, and I wasn't a parent and I wasn't all of these things, but there was just such growth in the space. And I will never forget, I guess it's a little sidetracked, but I still have a sculpture of uh, one of the parents brought back to me. It was a, uh, they were building with wood and um, the supplies were like wood, a paper base, and then pipe cleaners and glue and some other stuff and watercolors. And um, she brought me back a sculpture that her husband and son created together and said this was the first thing they ever sat down and did together. Oh, that's right? beautiful. I've had it for like 25 years. It has traveled 
with me in all the spaces I lived in New York. <laughs> and then coming to uh, Jersey, it's, it's made the way and it sits on my shelf and I, it's, it's just so special. That's amazing. That is just beautiful. Right. So it's kind of like, can you think of like, actually in saying that, like, does something come to mind of, of a memento or a story or something that where it was just like, wow, that was really powerful. and didn't realize it was going to be so powerful. Yeah. I'm thinking about something that I have and I always recommend that people have too is like, a, some people call it a win book. I call it a celebration portfolio where I collect cards and things that people have said about me or things that they've sent me. And I'm thinking specifically about a very unexpected gift from one of my past direct reports, actually. And he is from Mexico and brought me back because we, we talk a lot about perfectly imperfect and we've both been through our own journeys of thinking that perfect was what it was all about, you know, and then you realize that's actually not what it's about. Mm -hmm. And he brought me the most beautiful clay pot that was made by these women in this small village in Mexico. And he talked about, he wrote the most beautiful letter to me. It was, it was probably within the first month or two of him working at the same company as me. And I was really struck by the, like he talked about the cracks in the pottery and things that, that the perfectly imperfect make it perfect kind of kind of idea. So I think about that as a gift that I was given. But then I also think about, for me, the privilege of being a catalyst in somebody's transformation in their communication. And it sounds sort of grandiose, like, ooh, transformation. But for example, I'm working with a woman pretty high up at, in, at Stanford right now. And she had a challenge, even as a senior leader, holding back and wanted, she goes, I'm tired of being nice. Everybody calls me nice. I'm so tired of being nice. <laughs> she mm. says, I want to be known as, you know, kind, but assertive and confident and all the, all the things we all want to want to come across as. And I was just blown away. And this is not the first person that shared this, but because it's recent, it really stood out. She emailed me and said that with, so this was within two weeks of us working together. She said her boss noticed a significant difference and to keep it up, her ability to speak up. And you know, so much of that is just, I'm again, all I am is the facilitator. <laughs> we watch videos. Of course, I have expertise to, to offer people, but it's really that self-discovery of the person themselves where they realize, oh, there's another way and it's really simple. Let me try it this way. Oh, and that wasn't so bad. Actually, it felt really good to speak up and project my voice louder and have a point right away rather than rambling. I mean, there's all these, all these tips. So that was very meaningful. To me. That's incredible. It's, and I love that idea of a celebration portfolio. Oh my gosh, yeah. everybody, you need to do that. Well, here's what I'll tell you. What's, what's fun is that I can still remember it was 2006 when I interviewed at this company where I was for 14 years and I brought that, you know, most people traditionally that are artists and will have a portfolio. You expect that from an artist or an architect or, or graphic designer. And yet I brought that to my interview and I think it was quite impressive. I have to say, brilliant. <laughs> you know, I had it in a, I had it in a really nice like art, I bought it at an art store with, with, um, you know, really just, it was very pretty. And I just said to her, by the way, I have a collection of compliments and, um, accolades here. If you'd like to take a quick breeze through my portfolio, I'd love to show it to you. And it was obviously she's not going to, nobody's going to go into great detail and look at it, but just the fact that you bring it and it's also a great way to revisit your wonderful self when you're feeling doubt and maybe you're a little bit down about yourself. It's a great, great way to have everything collected in one place. 
It really is. It's, it's, and I think it brings up a nice point to this whole, you know, people get into, well, I'm not an artist and I don't scrapbook and I don't do all this kind of stuff. It's like, go and buy something that makes you feel good and just put them in there. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything that you create per se. It's something that you're just putting together and it just makes you feel good. And you're, you've made me think of my mom did this incredible thing when I turned 30. Um, a number of years ago. <laughs> and I was, we were living in New York at the time. And um, all of a sudden I just started getting these random notes from people on postcards about memories from, you know, that they've had of me and, and our knowing of each other and happy birthday. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I mean, it was so kind. She sent postcards to all these people saying it's Hollis's 30th birthday. Please give her some words of advice or share some stories. And um, so all of a sudden, all of these postcards just started arriving with all of these stories from like parts of my life, which were like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. So I put it together into a book. Um you know, that I made and, and all this, and I, you know, can see all of it there, but it inspired me to then of course, share that concept. And when my mom turned, um, I don't remember if she was what age we did it for her, but you know, we did it. It's just, it's a beautiful way. Cause it's these surprises and you don't tell the person that's the key. Don't tell. Yes. Them. That is so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great mom. Until, gift. until you start to get like, where are all these coming from? Like, do not say anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But before we dive into the second question, I love that you said that you're a recovering rambler. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like to relate to my audience. <laughs> I totally love that. So then how, how did that change? Well, a big part of that was my years at Decker Communications, really honing my craft in not just teaching other people, but obviously practicing what I preach, but also having a strong desire to come across as a more powerful and influential communicator. So I taught myself to do two things. And this is my tip for anybody who <laughs> is a rambler, goes off on tangents and loses the point, <laughs> goes into too many details. One is to actually say out loud, and my point is this, that helps to bring yourself back. When you start realizing, oh my gosh, I'm rambling, and my point is this. Hmm. The other, which is also beautifully married with that one, which is simply to pause. Mm -hmm. Stop yourself, pause at the end of your sentence, and then recalibrate. And usually only takes a nanosecond to do that. And in the time that you have a moment to think, recalibrate and state your point or get back to the point, then your audience has also not just had a chance to absorb what you just said, but you're going to come across as more credible because you're better. You're probably better paced. I say probably because some people are already pretty well paced, but most of us talk too fast or we mumble from one sentence to the other and don't punctuate our sentences. So if we punctuate when we're speaking, we will come across as much more articulate and confident as well. Mm, yeah. So I see the benefit. I mean, let's just face it. When you start realizing, oh my gosh. And I had to record myself all of the time when I worked there and I still do it now and notice what am I, what do I still need to work on or where am I getting lazy in certain areas? So when I would hear myself get to the point quickly and have people even compliment me on it, that would be high motivation to keep it up. Yeah. Didn't you say something also, and I'm probably going to do this and then become hyper aware of it. <laughs> do we like all of a sudden our voice raises at the end? Yes. Up speak. Yeah. yeah up speak. Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing to know. Most people don't know that they have it. So that's why recording yourself is so powerful. And I'll do a quick demo of it because not everybody knows what it means. And ultimately the, the, the pure definition, the simplest definition is that you say, when you say a statement, 
you go up at the end with your inf inf inflection like it's a question rather than declarative tone. Yeah. So, and a lot of people do it with their name, believe it or not. It's, it's something, something funny happens to us when we do introductions, <laughs> we, we put yeah. our the comma. So it number, here's two options. One would be, hi, I'm Karen Laus and I'm originally from Minneapolis, but now I live in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> Versus, hi, I'm Karen Laus. I know I am. <laughs> I'm not wondering. <laughs> I'm originally from Minneapolis, but now I live in San Francisco. Yeah. So there's so vocal variety and inflection to keep it engaging, but I'm landing with a period when there should be a period. But most of us, particularly when we do introductions, it becomes a run on sentence. Yeah. Oops. I lost you there. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's okay. So I don't know if you heard that last part, that most of us, when we do an introduction, it becomes a run on sentence. Yeah. So freaking powerful because I know that many people, and it's so freaking true that when, when we introduce ourselves, it's like this sing songy kind of voice. Yes. Yes. Hi, my name is Hollis Citron. Is it? Well, <laughs> that was actually a period. Citron. It would as opposed to Citron. Mm. I'm trying to decide if I am. It was so funny because my husband and I went shopping for mattresses the other day and this guy had classic upspeak. Would you like, uh, it was like, here we go. And we can look at some mattresses. <laughs> we can do that. So that's, that's actually, that's partially upspeak, but that's a whole other dialect. <laughs> right. The whole Valley girl kind of up and down feel. But yeah. what I find fascinating, you know, we can we can listen to people like that and think, oh, well, I don't do that. But what I find fascinating are the subtleties in our voice. So, for example, I work with United Healthcare. They're one of my clients, and a big thing that they have all every year is this executive development program, essentially where there are teams of six people, and I'm hired to work with them over a period of six months to help them get really good at communicating their message to ultimately speak to executives on a stage at the end of this six months. Mm -hmm. And they have to do it as a group. Well, the thing that probably, well, not probably, the thing that surprises most people and anybody listening to this might chuckle at this as well, but you chuckle at it until it happens to you. <laughs> because what are we doing the day before they go on stage we are practicing their names. All I'm saying is just one by one. They just have to say their name, nothing else, because they come up on stage and they uh. have to say their name before they present. They all say their name in a row. But what's fascinating to me is typically 80% of the people, so what is that, like four out of six, I'm not good at math, but something like that, mm -hmm. will say their name with upspeak. They'll come mm -hmm. on stage, I'm Karen Laus. I'm John Smith. I mean, you know, no, you are Karen Laos. You are John Smith. You are. And right. it's really fascinating how sometimes we will spend multiple attempts. I go around the room and I have them, nope, say it again. Nope, say it again. I've had some people do it up to 15 times before they got their name with a period. Mm -hmm. So one of those subtlety things, but it directly, and why do we care about this? Because it directly connects to our credibility. If you want to build trust and credibility with people, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about. So right. if you want to have that influence, you've got to have that declarative tone. Right. And worthiness within yourself. Yeah. Like you, to in order to speak that way and be declarative, you have to feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So... It's just it's just validating more of why I titled this eradicating self doubt and taking a seat at the table. <laughs> yes, <laughs> love it. You know, it. Can I bring up something from yes. earlier? Yes, because I was so impressed with my my um, alliteration. Curate. You don't. You can curate. You don't have to create. When you were talking before about something to the tune of you know you don't have to be uh, an artist, I think you said, you don't have to do it a certain way. And that made me think about how I've often been insecure about painting or I don't know, sometimes I've tried to do different things. And I, I say tried because I legitimately have, have, I've done them, but then I've went, I've gone, oh gosh, 
I don't think I'm really good at that, but it was fun. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to say that you can curate these things. You can curate art and expressions and these kinds of things that that's part of what's so great about life is that we can look at other people to inspire us and we can, I want to say, I don't want to say take from them sounds wrong, but or use their inspiration to, to do what works well. That's well, thank you for bringing that up. And it's, it's interesting. Cause that's, I mean, that's a whole other topic. Like in the classroom, they'd be like, so-and-so copied me or so-and-so. <laughs> and it, it's like not being all hippy drippy about it, but they were inspired by you. But <laughs> there is a point to where it's like, I'd say they're never going to do it exactly like you. Yeah. There, yeah. there are ideas out there. There are, there are innovations. There are all of these things. Um, that are one of a kind, but many things have been done. There's just different takes on it. So it, it's understanding that it's never going to be exactly the same. If you, if I used a blue marker and you used a blue marker, we would do totally different things with it. Right. Um, right. And the whole point of like what you said of, this is the whole reason we're having these conversations is because it's expanding this whole definition of what creativity is. So for me, there is this whole societal definition of, well, you have to know how to draw or paint mm -hmm. um, or dance or something in order to be a quote unquote artist. But in everything that you're saying with all that you do, oh my gosh. I mean, the creativity in imagination of meeting people where they are and knowing what to do in order to help them be the best version of themselves. All of the problem solving. Communication is an art form. Mm -hmm. It, it is really such, is. and people don't realize that. That's when, when you know, people immediately say to me, because I went to art school and all this kind of stuff and saying you're an art teacher and they're like, I can't draw or paint. And there's like literally the body language, like hands go up, body goes back, kind of like very defensive. Like, I don't know how. I'm like, well, neither can I. Like, just because I went to art school doesn't mean that's what I do. I actually studied ceramics. Um, and my drawing teacher told me that I wasn't good enough. Um, wow. So, I mean, there's just, uh, yeah. So then I'll say to somebody, well, what do you enjoy doing? Or what do you do? And they're like, well, I'm in business. Well, what do you, you're like imagining things all the time. Like you have an imagine, you're using imagination. You see it in your head. You envision it. You speak it. You talk to others and create it and shape it in whatever that looks like. That's, cre that's creativity. Uh, and they're like, I, well, Oh, I never thought of it that way. Exactly. And I love how you are expanding the definition by what you're doing because I even remember, well, two things I wanted to say. One is just that I had the same thing at first when you put out the call for guests, I thought, Oh, I'm not creative. <laughs> And then I had to tell myself, yes, you are. Just go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, and when you talked about a teacher saying that you weren't good enough, I was thinking back to a very prominent story that I hadn't thought of until recently because one of my favorite teachers, my eighth grade teacher, recently passed away. And I was reminded of going to Catholic school, being in sixth grade, and Sister Gertrude Marie criticized my handwriting. She said it like, remember the days of cursive? Yes. Um, you know, it was really had to be perfect. And I was so wanting to do it right that I worked diligently every night until I got her approval. Well, fast forward to eighth grade and I meet Mrs. Colnane and she was so fun. Her hair was all over the place. Talk about classic. Like when you think about a classic person that's just super creative and she always had all these ideas and, and she said to me, oh, write how you want. What take you, you like the way I write my eyes. Take, take that. You like the way this person does that then to just do what you want. And I felt so free again to the point of being inspired by other people, it's funny because my sister-in-law had this beautiful way that she would make her eyes actually, and her capital I, and I copied that and then other things. And that's why I like to say curating because <laughs> I feel like that's what I did to then make it, and then made it my own. Like you said, you're never gonna do it exactly like someone else does. 
And that was such a freeing experience to be myself. And if going back to the definition of creativity, I talked about freedom quite a bit, but ultimately it's not a but. And ultimately it is about being free to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, and I'm glad you took it back to that point. And I want to get to the second question before we get to the third, because we have 15 (laughs) minutes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we've mentioned certain things already, but uh, what are some ways that you also bring more creativity into your own life? Well, I have a great example very recently. Uh, First of all, I love experiences. That's something I'm very grateful that my dad and mom taught me, but particularly my dad of travel and adventure. Mm-hmm. So I go to a lot of retreats or when some, as my mom used to say, <laughs> if you get invited to a party, just go. <laughs> say yes. And so I was invited to a couple of retreats in the last few months, but last week I was in beautiful Covington, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, where Lots of movies were filmed and The Vampire Diaries is a big deal there and Sweet Home Alabama and Sweet Magnolias. But anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. At that retreat, it was a business and relaxation retreat. But the way that I would say that, I, first of all, I embrace opportunity and experiences. And in this case, the whole thing felt like I was playing the whole time for two days. We did axe throwing. They arranged a hairstylist. I've never actually had my hair done, believe it or not, because I have such short hair, but they blew it out and it looked really good. And then they hired a professional photographer. So it just made us feel really beautiful. And it was fun to walk around to different parts of this beautiful bed and breakfast that was like an old mansion and to see where the photographer would suggest shots and the leaves were changing. So it was this whole experience. Oh, and then we did painting as a group where we went to a place where we could, the woman sketched out the thing and then we essentially just copied the, the thing, but we still were the ones that painted off of a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. And it felt so great to prioritize play. So I would say that I look for opportunities that I can have adventure, fun and play. Wow. What was this um, retreat for in particular? Well, it was for business and it was, it was called business and relaxation. I honestly just <laughs> met the I woman was in charge of it. And I, I just bought the ticket based on her and there were only six of us there. So it was limited, very small group staying at this beautiful bed and breakfast in this sweet little town I'd never been to before. But how incredible is that? It, it's that whole, it's, playing. We have to give ourselves permission to play, to care for ourselves, like what, however you want to word it. Um, in, in how you explained it, I love it. Like you, you did ax throwing. It's funny. We did that recently. I requested that we do it for mother's day because I wanted to face a fear of sharp objects. Oh, really? (laughs) I did. (laughs) So I'm like, that would be, I feel like, I have a huge fear of snakes, but I'm not approaching that now. So <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I said, let's do the axe throwing, which is really fun. Um, and it was hanging out, you know, with you know now my 18 and 21 year old doing something different, uh, seeing each other in a different way. Actually, realizing that I wasn't bad at throwing an axe, um, <laughs> which is pretty cool. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but then that whole aspect that you mentioned too, with you know getting your hair done and like being pampered and taken care of and then doing a photo shoot, which doesn't make a lot of women. Um, I don't know about men, um, but I know a lot of women get uncomfortable when a camera is put on them mm-hmm. um, and kind of like really releasing. I know that if it's a good photographer, they, they'll get you into a space where you're just like loosening up. And um, I talked about this actually just with the last podcast I had that when someone who knows what they're doing, gets you into that space of feeling comfortable. My daughter kind of yells at me and she kind of makes me, (laughs) I'm like, you're so mean. She's a very good person. And if she can hear me upstairs, she's probably like, thanks mom for talking about me that way. She's not like a mean person, but she'll be like, mom, loosen up. Do that with your face. Put your hand down. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Oh my 
goodness, I know. Uh, it was very fun. And to your point, I did feel very pampered. And yeah, it was it was funny as people were asking, like, what's your takeaway? It really was the, the, the prioritizing playfulness. Yeah. Having more fun. Yeah. Yeah. We need Tends to incorporate. We need to incorporate this into our lives because we take things so freaking seriously. Yes. Agreed. Right? Agreed. So, yep, 100%. so, so serious. And it's just like, it's life is short. We know all this. But when you're relaxed and when you are having more fun and when you're more peaceful, then you connect with people mm -hmm. in a better way. Because when you're actually connecting with yourself, and actually doing things that you enjoy or realizing things that you don't enjoy, but then turning into things, you know, finding those things that you do, um, even if you're not enjoying it, but you can laugh at yourself. Like there are things that I could suck at, but I could laugh and it's like the best laugh ever. Yes. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> and that's just fun. And then you can show up in business and whatever you do and be more connected and use better communication skills and um, you just shine. Yes, it's true. Well, we we're so filled up when we're connected and then we can also be more present similar to what you've said. So with the third question, which is about kind of wrapping it up and putting a nice little bow on it. Um, why do you think creativity is important? Uh I think similar to what we were just talking about, the playfulness piece, and I feel like I'm going to reiterate a couple of things because I do think that we underestimate how important it is to play, to have fun, to do something other than produce and work. I grew up with all those kids in my family. You could not relax in our household. <laughs> If you did, you would be given a chore to do. So there was always this feeling of I have to produce and I have, the, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not alone. And we're especially in the U.S., everything, there's such a badge around busyness and somehow you're, you want to be the one that says, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, well, you're not going to believe my schedule. And Right. Opposed to, I mean, wouldn't it just be great if <laughs> the next time you saw somebody and they said, I'm so busy and you just said, oh, I'm, I'm just so bored, actually. <laughs> or, or I just had fun. I was just playing. Yes, yes I just did axe throwing and painting by numbers. <laughs> but the idea of how important it is to fuel yourself and I also feel like I'm coaching myself as I say this because I have to remember simple things like taking a break during the day, eating a meal without doing three other things at the same time, actually being mindful like and being present with my food or being present with the person that I'm talking with and not doing the multitasking and recognizing that we are going to have more peace and fulfillment in our lives if we actually take time to refresh and rejuvenate. And even just the other day, I heard a statistic actually at the retreat. I heard this statistic that four-year-olds on average laugh 300 times a day. And as adults, it takes three months to get to 300 times of laughter. Oh my God. And that made me really sad because it's such an alarming statistic. And it also reminded me I want to laugh more often. <laughs> yes. My gosh, it's so true. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, as adults, we have responsibilities compared to a four-year-old, but we have a lot that we can learn from kids to be free, be ourselves, have fun, enjoy. And, and even the idea of recess. Well, why do they have recess in schools? Because it's valuable and important for people to have an outlet. But somehow we've stopped having recess as adults. It's funny. Um, my last job, uh, the job that I left three years ago before I started my companies was um, with ages first grade to eighth. And when I did recess duty, they were uh, hula hooping. So there were different stations of things that they could do. Oh, fun. 
And these kids, I remember, you know, we just kind of walk around and make sure people weren't hitting each other and throwing things at each other. And <laughs> we were interacting with, with the kids and playing. And I was so freaking impressed with the hula hooping. <laughs> I mean, these first graders were like eating a sandwich and hula hooping. And I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> and they're like, Miss Citron, all you have to do is this. And then I would try and I'm like, oh my God, like my, my hips, like you have no hips. <laughs> I, I had these hips that I would think would hold up the hula hoop, <laughs> but they'd be like, bam, it would just like go right down. So I kind of learned through watching them that they're just very calm. They're not all tight and thinking about it. They have their feet in the right position and they're just kind of like, do 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 <laughs> yeah they just do it that's a, such a good point not overthinking it totally not overthinking it and then a friend of mine um she was doing a hula hooping class and uh so i purchased this weighted hula hoop and it hangs out in our living room and i haven't done it in a little while but um it's just simple things like that and it's just funny actually for a laugh get a hula hoop put it in your space and then have your family members do it it's really funny <laughs> Well, I have to admit, you're bringing up memories for me because it was a few years ago that some friend of mine was having a corporate event and they had hula hoops and I was so sad I couldn't do it. I kept crying and I was like, dang it, what is wrong with me? I've lost my talent. Did you used to be able to do it? Yes, I did, but it's been years. It's really about the foot placement. <laughs> it's really about the foot placement, but um, yeah, it's just funny because like watching my son do it and then watching my husband do it, it's just, it's hysterical. So <laughs> anyway, I want to thank the people that are jumping on live. Thank you so much. And as we're winding up with, oh my God, Karen, can you please tell people how they can find you? Yes, absolutely. Well, my website is my first and last name, Karen Laus, and that's spelled K-A-R-E-N-L-A-O-S dot com. And I am also, I have my own podcast as well as a Facebook group called Ignite Your Confidence with Karen Laus. And I would love to see you in any of those places. My gosh, amazing. It was so fun talking to you. <laughs> I agree. I agree. You're so great. It's so easy to talk to. You're so great. Thank you. I am so grateful to you for taking this time. And actually, before we say our goodbyes, um, are you inspired to share anything else or sure. any words of wisdom? I, I always have something to say. I'm the one on the desert island that would not stop talking. <laughs> that would be you? <laughs> Although I do have some boundaries, but you know, the biggest thing that I would say is to trust your gut in general, trust your gut. When you have that thought of, Oh, Oh, I'm, I want to paint. Oh no, I, I don't. Or, Oh, I want to express my ideas. Oh no, I don't try to avoid that. No, I don't voice coming in there. Or when it comes, just say, override it, say, Nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to hula hoop. <laughs> I'm going to throw an ax. I'm going to speak up at this next meeting. But trusting yourself and knowing that you have everything that you need to take your seat at the table. Yes. It's that whole five second rule that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Okay. So whew, this was wonderful. I so appreciate people being here live. Thank you to those catching the replay. This space is all about inspiring each other, sharing, connecting, um, sharing stories. It's I believe we've always needed it and we need it now more than ever. So please like, follow and share so we can spread the goodness and um, lift each other up so we can take a seat at the table and be authentic and be ourselves. So I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, a good evening, wherever you are. And I look forward to connecting again soon. So goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Hollis. Thank you, Karen. Bye. U.S. Feeling inspired? There are so many ways to do things for you, to get yourself moving, to get your creative juices flowing, and to have fun. 
check out I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing. Go to IamCreativePhilly.com, IamCreativePhilly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com, and check out the experiential kits. Check out Creative Shui, which is all about creative inspiration and guidance. And for Express Yourself Publishing, there's so many multi-author book opportunities. So I would love to chat with you so much. Everybody has, everybody's creative. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an expression. And I can't wait to meet you. Thank you so much for taking this hour to listen to our stories and share the energy. And I wish you a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in this world. Bye, everybody.